This is We Are Vodafone, a podcast about technology and its power to change our world, from AI and the metaverse to flying cars and fruit-picking robots. In this series, we'll lift the lid on the exciting innovations, changing how we live and work, both now and in the future. In this episode of We Are Vodafone, we're exploring the wild, wondrous future of connected devices, otherwise known as the Internet of Things, or IoT for short. The IoT is an ecosystem of millions of connected devices, all with the ability to communicate with us or each other. Think connected cars that warn drivers of hazards on the road, or air quality sensors that detect high levels of pollution, or even forest fires. The possibilities are endless. I'm Tim Samuels, bringing you this series about the power of technology to drive change around the world. I'm joined by Eric Brenice, IoT Director at Vodafone Business, and Phil Skipper, Head of IoT Strategy at Vodafone Business, who can tell us more about this exciting tech evolution. The Internet of Things is basically any device which is not a human or a normal computer or a phone that talk to each other. Whenever something communicates, whether it's an elevator sending message, hey, I'm stuck, or whether it's a car sending an emergency call message, hey, my engine has broken, or whether it's a smart meter sending the data usage, these are all Internet of Things applications. So anything that sends some information, which is not a human, is actually an IoT device. And now already, today, the Internet of Things is all around us. You know, if you go somewhere to a restaurant, you pay um, with your credit card through a credit card reader, which the waiter brings to the table. There's an Internet of Things connection in there. Most likely in your home, you have several IoT connections in your electricity meter, in your basement, probably. If you have a car which is younger than seven years, most likely you'll have an IoT connection in it. So it's all around us. And still there are more and more applications coming every day. And still we're only in the beginning. Previously, going back 15 years, you know, you're in a lift it gets stuck. You've got to pick up the phone that's in the lift and hope it works. Devices are not talking to each other. Yeah, or you have to bang at the wall and hope that somebody hears you. For your meters, many people will still remember the times, you know, you had to be home for a morning in order to open your door for the meter reader who then takes your consumption. If your car broke down and, you know, you had to go outside and wave somebody who would then possibly help you. So basically, um, the Internet of Things puts communication into things which before that weren't communicating and therefore all these new services also came up. Phil, how has your morning been affected by IoT devices so far? If I look around my house, I'll give you some examples. I have a connected smart meter, so I know exactly how much power I've taken. I also have an electric vehicle charging post at my house. I was out this morning, the traffic lights are connected, you know, my phone is connected for navigation. So everything that you see and you do somehow has IoT driving it. And it's one of those wonderful things that it's non-invasive. You just get the benefit of it from having all of these devices connected all around you. It's one thing to have a meter that's being read for cars to be charged. But I think what's interesting is the much, much bigger impact that the Internet of Things can have, particularly when we look on a planetary level. Phil, if you can take me to 
Ibiza. Tell me how IoT is being used over there in terms of sustainability. They have a, a number of problems with too many people on the beaches. They have a problem with water quality and so on. So what IoT does is it provides that authority, the ability to actually monitor what's going on. Very simply, by having boys moored in the harbour, they're actually detecting water quality every minute. They're also monitoring how many people are going off and onto the beach. And particularly important right now is the ability to use IoT to detect forest fires. And again, it's something where you can deploy these devices very efficiently. They work 24 by 7, and you can actually get the information that you need to respond earlier and more effectively. You can communicate with multiple different sensors, measuring multiple different things, and all bring them back into the same place. So you get this deep insight on what is going on around you. Eric, the impact to people's quality of life in Ibiza, what's that going to be? Pollution will go down. It won't be as overcrowded. You can take all these measures from the data insights you get in order to ensure that the ecosystem remains stable. And looking kind of closer to home, for those of us in the UK, water. There have been some reports showing that recently we've been leaking up to a quarter, a quarter of our water supply. How can IoT be deployed to help address this issue? The problem you've got with a water network, it's all underground, it's old and it's massive. It's a huge distributed network. So you need to be able to detect where the problems are and you can get sensors which travel in the pipes or are connected to the pipes and they can actually listen or use ultrasonics to detect where that leakage is and they can pinpoint it very accurately. You can then fix the pipe and fix the leak. The nice thing about IoT is because it communicates over such a wide area, it's ideally suited for these big national infrastructures like electricity, water and gas. But we also shouldn't forget that there is water leakage in homes and the same technology can be deployed in the domestic environment um, where you can actually detect when your own pipes are leaking and then stop the damage to your house water is a great example of where iot and sustainability combine not only are you making the water network more efficient you're also safeguarding a really important raw material that's actually quite expensive to produce so iot solves both of those problems Water as well is crucial to agriculture. Again, one of the huge force when it comes to climate change. How is IoT being deployed in agriculture? So you can use it to, for instance, sense pests. There are devices where it can actually, using artificial intelligence, recognise what pests are being caught. More important than that, you know where it's landed. So rather than having to spray the whole field, you can actually just spray the bit that's infected. Likewise, with water, you spray the bits that need watering. You don't put water onto everything. And the same with fertilizer. You can apply these materials in a much more efficient way. That's driving efficiency for the farmer, but also making sure that the environmental impact is absolutely minimized. 
we do a lot of work in places like Africa, and they're seeing by using this technology a 15 to 20% increase in yield. Being able to produce more for less is a great thing, and that's again something that IoT enables with precision agriculture. Phil and Eric, if you were farmers with adjoining fields, you're a traditional farmer, Phil. Eric's IoT farming. As you look over the fence at each other, what advantages would Eric have over Phil? I'm going to spend most of my time in the field digging holes and looking at soil and looking at plants. Eric is going to be sitting at home, watching his TV with a beer, letting a drone monitor his crops for him. And I'm still going to have the higher output. I also won't need to be up and awake at night when one of my cows is about to give birth because my IoT system will wake me up and send me a message when that's about to happen, whereas Phil needs to always be on standby. I mean, it's a huge change in um, quality of life and also output at the same time. Uh, Forgive my ignorance. How would uh, a device tell you that you have an animal birth happening? So there's a device which one of our partners designed with us, which is clipped on the tail of a cow, and it measures vital parameters such as pulse, body temperature, and so on and so forth. And when a cow is about to give birth, that's easily identifiable through all these parameters. And then the device sends a message to the farmer, hey, it's time now, you should come down and help. And if you were a farmer in the developing world, those gains could be far more life-changing than farmer Eric having a bit more time in bed and not having to go and manually check on the pregnancy levels of, of your cows. It is life-changing and society-changing, actually, for many societies, not, not only on an individual level. A lot of the precision agriculture solutions we do are actually in Africa, and they're for small farmers. We've got about 8,000 farms already connected using the system. And what's actually happened is because they're able to produce more crops, they can move from simply subsistence into being able to drive an economy around their small holder farms so they're able to produce more they're able to for the first time sell it and start getting revenue back into the farm and we've seen so many changes especially in the african agricultural market for instance being able to use iot to lease out tractors um, which is in some cases you know the first time smallholders have had access to mechanized farming and also we're seeing plans where you can actually buy seed to grow with all the experience and the monitoring to make sure that that season is successful. So it's no longer just producing what you need. It's actually producing what you need plus some more, which is starting to drive these local economies. We've also introduced something called M-Pesa, which actually enables these farmers to interact financially through their smartphones. So it brings together this sort of micro-economy around small-scale farming that's very efficient and generates income for farmers that they've probably never seen before. Small gains at scale have a kind of global impact. And I guess that could also be applied to biodiversity you know we're not just making the world hotter and drier species are dying off as much as a thousand times more frequently than before us humans arrived 60 million years ago biodiversity it's an urgent issue eric if we were to head up to the southwest of scotland and the river nith what would we see in terms of attempts to preserve wildlife there 
So at the River Nith, we're having one of our biodiversity projects in which we're working together with Extreme E, which is a race in remote areas of the world to promote environmental activities. And at the River Nith, there's historically a lot of Atlantic salmon. This is one of their key rivers. And the salmon there is having difficulties to find enough food because of rising water temperatures. There's also less rain at the moment than there used to be. And we installed sensors there to understand exactly the water temperature, the water quality, the rainfall. And then we recommended actions such as planting 200 hectares of woodland along a riverside, which in turn helps stabilize the ground, cool down the water again through more shade and actually helps the salmon. And this is just one example of such biodiversity projects that we're doing. Phil, are you optimistic this will, this will make a difference to salmon levels? Yes, I am. And I think you know, it's one of these things where it's not going to be immediate. So if you're planting 200 hectares of trees, it's going to take some time for them to provide the shade. And I think that's true with all of these biodiversity projects. They're going to need time to come to fruition. But it's your ability to monitor, detect the trend and see that improvement. It's true with other projects that we've done in terms of you know, tracking seals, for instance, to actually understand where they're going to get their food, birds, where they're migrating to. It gives you that insight to make sure that you're making the right decisions today, which are going to have a positive impact for the future. The seal tracking actually is, is one of the very first biodiversity projects that we had. That was already more than 10 years ago when we tracked the very first seals with the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And that gave a lot of insight about how they lead their lives so that we can protect their environment better. For example, what came out of this research study, and there we have results because it was more than 10 years ago, was that they swim incredibly far, dozens of kilometers away from their main location. And based on these insights, the researchers actually were able to better protect the seals subsequently. Phil, for this to really have an impact, do you envisage a world where there are sensors in, in multiple rivers and multiple species being monitored, almost in some sort of way in which we're monitoring nature in real time? Yes, and you know there are already lots of sensors in the watercourses to detect things like floods. There's also systems in the wastewater to detect leakage of sewage and wastewater. The question is, how do you bring them all together so that you can get a concerted approach to solving the problem? So you're measuring the same thing from many different angles, and that's giving you much deeper insight in what's happening and therefore what you then need to do about it. But actually on, on this one, Tim and Phil, I believe that absolutely yes, uh, sensors in the future at rivers and in other places will be everywhere and it will be just as natural as having a traffic light at any big intersection. So these things are going to be normal and today's the beginning. People have been monitoring salmon, seals, and going up the food chain, whales. Eric, tell me about efforts in, in South Africa to help these extraordinary creatures to survive and thrive. Super fascinating project with the World Wildlife Fund. It's a problem for whales that sometimes they get caught up in mussel ropes. So uh, the mussel fishers in South Africa have their ropes and nets 
and in previous times when a whale was caught in there it couldn't get away obviously and created a big problem and nowadays we monitor these ropes so that whenever a whale gets caught in it it sends a message automatically to the fishers they can go there you know take their nets away um, resolve the problem and the whale can go back into the open sea it's also proactive so by being able to detect the whales using hydrophones in the water we're able to detect when they're coming in the fishermen can act early and the whale is then able to avoid the problem so it's not just solving the problem it's avoiding it at the same time and i guess the same technology could be applied to poaching as well absolutely that's something we've done in africa already a few years ago where rhinos are equipped with a device and the device actually similar to the cows you know which are monitored before they give birth the device monitors the rhinos vital parameters such as blood pressure temperature pulse rate and um, whenever they get into extreme stress the sensor sends an alarm and this extreme stress at night usually only happens when there are poachers around they're going after the rhinos and then the device sends a message and the rangers can actually see the exact location of the rhino. They can get there, protect the rhinos and hopefully catch the poachers. So something that has already saved many rhino lives. You know, my conception before talking to you guys was that the Internet of Things was the smart fridge placing an online order if you're running low on milk or your coffee machine ordering new, new pods that arrive and you don't even know about it. You know, and you've talked about things like meters and cars. I had no idea that rhinos were being protected from poachers, that whales were avoiding traps, and that farming in some of our most vulnerable areas was becoming more efficient. That's kind of amazing, really. All that's happening now. But if we look to the future, Phil, what most excites you about the future direction of where the Internet of Things is going? What's really exciting for me around the Internet of Things is, one, it's showing no sign of slowing down. So... 10 or 15 years ago, we were probably doing five or six different applications. We're now doing hundreds. And the most exciting thing is where all of these different applications are now starting to combine. And we call this the economy of things. And this is where these devices can not just transmit their data to one place, they can actually talk to each other they can transact with each other so imagine you're on a bike going down the street you can take with you this bubble of connected things the street light other vehicles to make sure that you're protected as you ride down the street now this may seem a little bit fanciful but we're already providing a step platform and this step is an urban safety platform where it brings all of these services together so road users get early information about traffic congestion other vehicles accidents and everything else and with the economy of things you're then able to transmit that data in a much more automated way we're already seeing some of these being in place for example we have projects with the manufacturers of street lamps where people as they walk by, automatically switch on a street lamp. And when nobody is in the street, the light is just not on, you know, which obviously saves a lot of energy compared to today, where the street lamps are usually on during a certain period, no matter whether somebody's there 
or not. And I guess when applied to healthcare, there could be real gains here. Absolutely. And I think healthcare is one of those areas where we've seen an explosion in the use of IoT, particularly over the last two to three years. And that's in the remote telehealth, where you can actually have consultations over the phone. But much more importantly, the ability for patients to have devices which monitor their health condition outside of the hospital. That means that people can spend less time in hospital. They can be back in the comfort of their own home. But it's like the hospital is reaching out to them. So that care is still available in their own home by having an IoT connected device. If you then go back into the hospital, just think of all the CAT scanners and the MRI, everything else which is connected so that you can get information and diagnostics quicker and more efficiently than ever before. And I think healthcare is going to be one of these other areas where the IoT converges with artificial intelligence to actually process these huge amounts of data, work out the trends and work out the diagnostics. And we're already seeing that for many clinical conditions today. Eric, paint me your utopian future where IoT has really gone to the next level. When IoT has gone to the next level and you step out into the street, you know, and you get into your car, the car is connected to traffic lights around yourself. So when nobody else is there, you will not see a red light because why should you? You know, the system will know oh, the only car driving on this road here is this one. So why let it wait at the intersection? You know, that's again another example for this personal bubble that is connected to all the infrastructure around yourself. I think that is a big thing which will make life for everybody significantly easier and also a lot safer of course before we step out into the street and have the traffic lights and and so forth what will be the devices that we might be wearing which might be embedded within us you know chips which will be in our household devices which will be interacting with and, and changing the way in which we live a very wise man once said predictions are hard to make especially if they concern the future right <laughs> a few years ago People thought those are probably going to be glasses. So whatever is now in a smartphone, you will have on your glasses. And then the virtual reality will merge with the actual reality and it will be augmented reality. These things partially exist today already. Hard to tell how we will be connected to this. And I personally believe that it won't be a one-time fits-all because um, people are also different in how much they will want to participate. So I believe it will be the choice of each individual person to define how much IoT you actually want to use in your daily life. And it may even vary that you say, well, while I'm on holiday, I'm just going to do it the traditional way. I don't need my private IoT bubble. Whereas when you're riding to your job, of course, you want to do it as quickly as possible to use the example with the traffic lights. That's one way of looking at it. Look at how people operate today. Some people will get up in the morning and talk to a, a speaker box and ask them what the time is. I don't, but lots of other people do. And I think there's going to be two environments. There's going to be almost the public service capability in terms of traffic control and environmental control and so on. There'd be your personal space about how much you want to use it in your own life. But the joy is you don't have to. 
you use it for when you need to use it, you can make your own choice. And I think that's the key thing about the IoT. I guess some people are going to be concerned by the prospect of what you're talking about. It's all well and good when people are using these things for good intentions, but there are plenty of societies, and there are some parts of the world already, where technology is being used to suppress human rights, to control people. How can we safeguard against this powerful technology being used against people? First of all, a lot of the IoT applications are actually about automating things and make them more efficient, such as water irrigation or reading out electricity meters and so on. Then when it goes more into personal things, such as creating your own personal bubble, you know, which then puts traffic lights on green when you drive towards it and nobody else is around, there is, of course, a lot of information about yourself like the location where you are in any given moment of time. So therefore, these systems today, they are built in a way that the user controls their own data. As a user, you decide which data do you share with whom and for which purpose. And that's very important. And also, it's going to be the choice of everybody whether and how you use such IoT systems. Eric, you said only fools make predictions, but if I can uh, beckon you towards some foolishness, do you think that ultimately we might end up as humans becoming things ourselves with chips embedded in us and we are communicating with devices all around us? I don't think that humans will become things because I, I'm a strong believer in humans being human. And like Phil said, I believe it will be the choice of people, which technology you use. You know, look at the varying levels of social media that people use. Many people don't use social media at all. Other people spend almost all their time in it. And I believe that in the free world, this will remain the case. It's fascinating. If we go back to the mid-90s, you're sat there with the uh, internet squawking and squeaking and pixel by pixel appears on your screen. So the global transformation that you've been outlining, I'm now much better schooled in the Internet of Things. I'm actually quite excited. So I look forward to never having to stop at a red light again. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and we're working on that. Thanks again to Eric Brenice and Phil Skipper for taking the time to tell us about the world of IoT and its progression into the economy of things. I'm looking forward to a world still with salmon, whales, but not so many red lights. Join me for the next episode of We Are Vodafone for more insider insights into the next big thing in tech. Till next time.